Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are reading Harold Sanjin by Patricia Sanjin with permission of Ten of Those Publishing Company. And we are reading Chapter 6, The Shepherd. Ella was delayed in England longer than expected, owing to an operation of appendicitis and the impossibility of getting a passage back in wartime. And Harry scoured the wild countryside on horseback in an extraordinary fruitful missionary journeys with Mr. Payne in Bolivia and Paraguay. He tells of a man who stood in the middle of a meeting and asked to be allowed to confess Christ, of another who traveled 30 miles to be saved, of a young woman 27 years of age with consumption who died clearly resting in the finished work of Christ. He must have traveled hundreds of miles too over the Argentina mountains seeking out lonely, isolated Christians. And in each little hut we dismount, he wrote, gave them good any news we had, gathered as many as we can, and then the book is produced. A few verses read, very simple and tenderly, we show them God's way of peace. Prayer is offered and a hymn is sung, and we remount and pass on our way. One morning we had to see a, a quarryman a few miles away who begins work at 6 a.m., so our start had to be early. We found that the rough life of mining camp had dimmed the brightness of his joy in Christ. And we, have, we had a quiet, solemn time, leaving him to the care of the one who taught David to say, He restoreth my soul. From April to June, Harold accompanied Mr. Strange in his motor launch, visiting the islands of the River Plate. It was bitterly cold, and in Harold's words, The people are as simple as they are dirty. One man remarked in self-defense when I commented on his condition. Well, I washed last October. Another one said, as for me, I wouldn't bathe for $20. We were able to hold meetings in two houses, and in one case all the audience came by boat, some 30 people having braved distance and darkness, the bitter, bitter cold and the hidden dangers of the river to hear the gospel preached. One of the Christians we met was a certain Don Erecki. He had been a publican for, with good business, but when the grace of God conquered him, he gave up his calling, and when I met him, he was earning just a few uh, shillings a week, working in winter up to his knees in mud, cutting down rushes for the basket makers. As may be supposed, he and his large family were radiantly happy in their deep poverty. Christ has, been, has made many shining jewels in this land, who shamed me with their self-denial and the realization of the demand and the appeal of the cross as motives for self-consecration. With them, an elementary sense of justice will not allow them to offer less than all to the Son of God. During July, Harold was off again in a walking tour through Uruguay. During that journey, he traveled the rough country roads on foot for a distance of 350 kilometers, sleeping on mud and brick floors. He tells of an increasing exhilaration in preaching the cross, and also of the loving kindness and care of his God every step of the way. Two incidences stand out clearly. Late one evening, my companion and I were finishing a long day's march, laden with a stock of books. For some miles, we had followed a mere track across the hills, and at length, with gathering dusk, we could no longer see the way. It was midwinter and bitter cold, and we were miles from the village. My companion was a good deal less hardy than myself, and to sleep outdoors would be unthinkable, and it was too wet to make a fire. I prayed that God would find us a way, not suggesting that he should do that, but remembering Gerhardt's Tergigian's excellent remark, 
I am my father's child, but not his private counselor. Even as I was praying, we heard the sound of wheels, and out of the gloom appeared a rough sort of coach, whose driver hailed us and offered to carry us to the village. It appeared that the rich farmer had suddenly become ill, and a doctor had been called, and the, the coach which had convened him was now on its return journey. A second incident was a gentler touch of God's hand. When I had come down from the north to meet my wife, it was hot weather, and I only had my lightest clothes on. Owing to the impossibility of her getting a passage several months elapsed before her arrival, I found myself traveling in a, an icy winter with very little protection from the cold. My boxes were stored and the price of new clothes was exorbitant, so I laid the matter before God and waited. Two days later, at the close of a meeting, a Christian tailor came to me and said, I have a suit left on my hands by a defaulting customer. I fancy it might fit you, but it may be too small, or you may not like the material. I replied that if the Lord intended it for me, he would certainly choose good material, and as to my size, even the very hairs of my head were all numbered, so my friend need be under no apprehension. As might be expected, I found myself two days later well and warmly clothed. Meanwhile, Ella and Hazel had set sail through the dangerous seas of 1916. It was not a pleasant crossing as conditions were definitely wartime, and large black rats who nibbled the mother's toes at night made her afraid to sleep lest her baby be bit bitten. Little Hazel became ill as they passed into the tropics, nor was the atmosphere of the cabin in, a very, in the first place improved by the very strong cheese which their Portuguese traveling companion kept under her bed. Perhaps, however, it defected the rats from the baby's toes. But conditions improved as they neared the equator. On the 27th, they sighted Montevideo. Husband and wife caught sight of each other far away, she holding up Hazel in her blue patisse, and he holding up the large teddy bear. The pleasant three-room cottage, as Harold described the little home he had rented, where Ella remained working among the neighboring women during his frequent absences, was soon no longer quite so pleasant owing to the bad breakdown in the water in the draining system during an extraordinary hot spell of weather. Hazel was really ill, and they moved up to Los Cocos, high in the hills. Here, as Harold wrote, life was simple, but quite civilized, though only two nights ago a stampede of animals swept past, and I was told in the morning that wild beasts had passed looking for a prey, and had found two sheep. It was a beautiful place, greatly enriched by the friendship and loving kindness of the Blairs and the Sugdens, and the little home looked down on a valley forty miles long, studded with villages. Harold's heart was burdened for this valley. In April 1917, he wrote, I wondered whether the Lord might call me to help his servants to evangelize this quiet valley. Many of the people have heard the gospel, and probably every home has received Christian literature. Although Harold's heart yearned over the needs of the valley, he was still most drawn to the Christians with their pitiful lack of pastoral care and teaching. And when in early 1917, Mr. Stuart McNair, a warrior pioneer missionary, came from Brazil and discussed the possibility of a Bible school, Harold was intensely interested. In February 1970, he set off, first by boat and then on foot, to look into the matter more closely. 
Mr. McNair had worked for 20 years in Brazil in a sparsely populated district and owing to his devoted labor believers gathered for many miles round on Sunday morning, sometimes traveling a day's journey over the hills. Two missionaries visited every little Christian gathering within a radius of 50 miles, often preaching many times a day, and of these comparatively ignorant believers, Harold writes, Summing up my impression of the meetings, which pleased me most were that the brethren seemed to have learned largely from the scriptures themselves, and comparatively little from human ministry. This gives a tone of great freshness and simplicity. Most of us, who, like myself, have seen modern missionaries work abroad, had been struck by the essential English character of teaching and church organization, second-hand discipline, being much to the foe. But they were hungry and thirsty for teaching, and Harold had caught the vision. He hurried back to Argentine just in time for the birth of his first son, and as soon as the mother and the child were strong enough, they packed up and started off on the 3,500-kilometer journey to Carangolo from Los Coscos. Farnham was seven weeks old, and even the optimistic Harold described it as the most difficult journey he had ever undertaken. It was very rough, and the boat was extremely crowded. Wherever they stayed, they were plagued by insects. He took all their worldly possessions with them, which caused the official in charge of the customs to remark, Times have changed since the days of the early apostles, who went without purse or scrip. Harold replied, humbly enough, that apostles did not have to travel with babies and sought to turn the conversation to higher channels. Even the last ten miles riding on the mules over rough tracks in the dark came to an end at last, and they were installed on the top floor of Mr. McNair's house. By September, the two missionaries were sending out leaflets to all the scattered groups of Christians, informing them of the new Bible school in Karangala. The leaflet ran thus, Bible school in Karangala. In the early days of November, we proposed to begin a Bible school with a view to helping young men who wish to grow up in the knowledge of the scriptures, and also to perfect themselves in grammar and other studies. The classes will continue for six months, the lessons occupying from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m., thus leaving the day free for students to earn their living. The students will not be involved in any expense beyond the purchase of the lesson books, but we cannot accept responsibility as to their maintenance. Each must maintain his manner of life and work with his neighbors. Any applicant who is unknown to us must produce letters of commendation signed by persons in whom we have confidence. Our chief desire is that there may be an atmosphere of prayer and spiritual power, in order that, while progressing in study, there may still be more progress in the knowledge of God. And it is signed, Stuart McNair and Harold Sanjin. Twelve students had booked by November and almost all working in the coffee or sugar fields from dawn till late afternoon. A number of local visitors would also drift in to the evening sessions, so little room was often, that little room was often quite full. Reading, geography, elementary mathematics were taught by Mr. McNair. Harold took the Bible classes. He chose the tabernacle and Romans as his opening theme, and a weekly examination was given. At the weekends, the students gathered far and wide to preach the gospel. During the day, Harold did medical work, as to bring a doctor from the nearest city would have cost upward of five pounds. Leprosy was not uncommon, and practically no precautions were taken. He speaks of lepers freely partaking of the communion cup in the country meetings, and he tells of a man with terrible ulcers on his legs while he visited constantly for seven weeks, and who was finally converted. 
This man's mother believed too, and the house became a local dispensary and meeting room. The Bible school in Corangolo was a sort of pioneer venture. Its spiritual results quickly proved to be deep and worthwhile. The Spirit worked freely in the hearts of that group of simple, single-minded young lads, and many went forth from the Bible school as able ministers and evangelists. There were certain sound principles on which the school was based, one being the understanding that there was from the beginning that it was an indigenous effort. The young men supported themselves as far as possible, but any unavoidable deficit was made up by the local Christians. There was no question that of these boys being favored by the missionaries for the local church and the lads in training were a unit. Lectures were free and open to all. Local Christians who had no opportunity of entering the ministry were welcome to share the teaching, and they all felt a responsibility for the future evangelist. On this situation, Harold wrote at the beginning of their third year. In respect of food, we are giving more variety and spending some hundreds of dollars more than in the last school. But we found that the local brethren refused to let us shoulder any extra expense, so the difference was more than made up by collections and local gifts. Brethren have understood the laws of Christian giving very well, many faithfully dedicating a tithe of all land produce to the Lord's work. So we were able to build meeting rooms and assist Brazilian workers without any outside appeal being made. Such men naturally prosper, spiritually and materially. There was no educational barrier. Reading and writing were taught as well as Greek and English. They asked for three qualifications only in their students. A love for Christ, a desire to learn, and a yearning to win souls. So it's no surprise to read in one of Harold's letters, a nice black who can hardly read has just arrived to join the school. He's walked over 23 miles, carrying his box over awful rivers. He looks exactly as though he had just stepped off the South End Beach with a set of bones to clap, and he's irresistibly funny. Like Mr. McNair, he was to these boys teacher, friend, and father. I'm doing my best, he wrote to his wife in 1920, after she'd stayed home with the children, to give myself more than ever before to the students. I mean by personal communication. They come to me at all hours to consult, and this morning I had six in all kinds of private difficulties. It's very nice for me to be mixing up with these simple, true young fellows. The morning reading is what I enjoy most, when we have a hymn or two and then get to work. It's always a great crush. This morning I spoke a great deal on marriage and the ideal we ought to have for our women. Isn't this a pokey letter? With all the time I'm trying to talk to you, Folk will talk to me, and ulcerous legs keep coming up for treatment. Every aspect of their lives, spiritual, mental, domestic, were included in the thorough, careful teaching these boys received. Then Miss McNair, who joined her brother in 1919, started classes on baby care for Christian wives, which Harold apparently attended, for he writes of them in detail. The lectures are good and practical about feeding babies, cleanliness, and etc., just what we need, and the women swarm in. Lenore's baby began to weep bitterly in the middle, and she banged it on the back, and it only wept louder. So I took it from her, rubbed its wee back, and put its five-weeks-old head on my shoulder, and it went sound asleep, much to Lenore's amazement. You would have loved to have seen all the sisters, poor Donna Ramondo, sitting listening. I wonder if she was thinking of those six tiny graves up the hill. 
and who can say by whose fault they are there? The lads were growing in grace. The local Christians had offered to build a house ready for his wife and family to return to him, and Harold was supremely happy in his work. I am utterly in my element and as happy as a king, except for you and the babies, he wrote. And on another occasion, Perhaps it is your prayers that are making these days so bright and peaceful. I wake each morning with a particular sense of joy in God and find all the work goes with lift and light. We had a very serious time this morning on building character of stone or brick. I was showing in Genesis 11.3, Isaiah 9.10, and Isaiah 65.3 how brick is a man's little temporary makeshift to avoid a crisis. But God uses stones, and living stones too, for his work. The boys were keenly interested in the time of prayer afterwards was very earnest. Things are certainly moving. For any man to live in a healthy climate, in a district where everyone is good to him, with a work that admits no idle moment and yet utterly satisfies without a shadow of anxiety, and to crown all the knowledge of the peace of God, is certainly to be without anything more to ask of life. And yet he did ask more. There seems everything to hold him. The love of the local Christians and the students, the friendship of the McNairs, the invaluable work he was doing, and most of all, the prospect of his family's return. But the Bible school was established and prospering and would continue to prosper under Mr. McNair's able guidance. And there were other districts, other countries, where no such effort had been made and the young Christians were hungry and thirsty for teaching. Already letters were reaching him to come and hold Bible schools in the British Guyana, the West Indies, the States. Everywhere he went, he was spiked by the eager thirst of Christians for able, spirit-filled teaching. He tells of a visit to a large, happy family in a log hut, all converted, who immediately went to get their neighbors for a meeting. It was 6 p.m. and he had not dined, so he hinted that the scriptural rule was, was first that which is carnal and that which is spiritual and the crowd was already arriving, so at 6.30 the meeting started and lasted till 9.15. Just as they finished, another lot of neighbors arrived from a distance, so another meeting was held, lasting till 11.15. Then dinner was produced, and at midnight Harold lay on the boards to sleep, but at 4.30 a.m. he was wakened by his host, who stuck his head through the window and called out, Dear brother, can you give me any light on the ninth chapter of the book of Revelation? So... Adds Harold, we were entertained each other with the things of God till it was time for the train. I wonder how many of my readers would be as vigorous and bright as these folks if they had a visit from a like-minded Christian perhaps once a year. The final decision must have cost him much. It meant root uprooting himself from that first dear Bible school. But much more, it meant embarking on a life of constant travel in which his wife and three babies could no longer join him. It was a choice between the home of his own that had been offered to him at Cargola, or separation. His wife had yearned to go back to Cargola, and never once did she attempt to influence his decision. That was made before God alone, and in 1921 he left Brazil for the last time and traveled up to the British Guiana to gather together the Christians for a season of teaching. It was to be his life's work till the end. Constant travel, ceaseless activity, and in many parts of the world, Christian men and women have been kindled and led into blessing through his ministry and to the, his exposition of the Word of God. It was hard, self-denying work, but he was radiantly happy in it from the beginning to the end. 
Indeed, he never envisioned any end. Early in his Christian life, he had written, written joyfully in his old diary, When I go home, work will begin in eternity the very next morning. Life is not a blind alley, it's a thoroughfare. Closing in twilight, opening in dawn. And tomorrow we will be reading Father of Five, Chapter 7. I do hope you're enjoying this book as much as I am. I love you, I'm praying for you, and we'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.